It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome into the latest edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here, along with MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. The prospect ranking rollout, it has begun. We have right-handed pitchers, left-handed pitchers, and catchers. The top 10 lists are up on MLB Pipeline right now. That listing will continue uh, through next week, all leading up to the top 100 prospects, which will be unveiled on MLB Network at 8 o'clock Eastern time on January 26th. So a lot to look forward to uh, on this week's podcast. Obviously, we'll dive into those positions. We'll have more next week, and then the week after that, we'll have the full 100. So plenty of stuff, plenty of firepower for us to get to here on the podcast over the next few weeks, as it feels like we've kind of gotten through that slow point in the year around the holidays and, and leading up to this point. And now it's full steam ahead for Jim and Jonathan and the prospect side. So I'm going to go through each of these top tens. We'll talk one at a time through them. We'll go in the same order you guys did, I guess, on the website. And that is starting with the right-handed pitchers. Number one, Forrest Whitley, Houston Astros. Number two is Casey Mize, the number one pick in last year's draft. And Michael Kopech is three. Mitch Keller of the Pirates, four. Dylan Cease, five. Mike Soroka, six. Sixto Sanchez, seven. Brent Honeywell, eight. Kyle Wright, nine. And Hunter Green checks in at number 10. Um, It's a list of of guys that aren't just the top 10 right-handers, Jim, but uh, these guys, we won't unveil the top 100, but these are all guys that are pretty high up there as well. Yeah, that's always the case. You know, it always comes with, you know, hey, why isn't, you know, whether it's Chris Paddock was one we got on Twitter, Ian Anderson, because there's always a Braves prospect we have to slight. You know, where's Alex Reyes, Tristan McKenzie? We hear this every year. And, and the thing we always say is, I, I think we can give this away without giving too much. The guys on this list all rank in the upper third of our top 100 prospects list. In fact, there are guys who rank in the upper third of our top 100 prospects list who are right-handed pitchers who couldn't make it. So this is one of these positions where I, I, I think, Jonathan, it might be, if we broke it down by position, the 10th guy on the right-handed pitchers list probably ranks higher than the 10th guy at any of the other positions. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even going to look and I'm going like to say that's right. Might be close yeah, no, maybe, I think the outfield yeah. gets stretched out a little bit more just because there's a little bit of a gap. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm not even looking and I'm going to say with certainty that that is a correct statement. All right. So, so high ranking right handers. There's a lot of power arms in there as well. Number one was Forrest Whitley. Jonathan, was there a big debate or was that pretty clean cut from the start when you guys started discussing these players that Whitley was one and then you start to piece it together after that? Well, Jim, how did you put it in the in the lead in the story? There was Forrest Whitley and then everybody else. Um, that, <laughs> yeah, that, that that was that summed it up. I thought that was a really good way to put it, uh, you know, because he's clearly the best pitching prospect. Any, you know, sort of questions. Uh, everyone knew about the stuff, but, you know, he had the suspension and then he was banged up a little bit. And then he went out and and was just absolutely ridiculously good in the Arizona Fall League. 
small sample size, yes, but really good hitters league. And, uh, you know, this uh, this is a guy who uh, I saw in the first outing I saw in the fall. I was like, oh, this is why they thought about bringing him up in 2017 uh, to, to help out out of the bullpen. Uh, the stuff is big league ready. You know, maybe you just need some more innings and some more reps. Uh, but the stuff and the feel for pitching, uh, this was as much of a slam dunk for number one, you know, on our position list as, as any of them by far. I mean, really, the only question with him is, is going to be, how do you handle him in 2019? I mean, I'm not giving him extra credit, obviously, for the suspension, but I actually, Jonathan, we both talked to him about the suspension at different times in the fall league, and I thought he handled it well. Like, he looked, he, he, he didn't make any excuses, didn't want to dwell on and just said, look, it was a mistake I made, I paid for it, I'm learning for it, can't have that happen. But the interesting thing to me is, like like, there, like you said, Jonathan, there's a question, his stuff's big league ready. Um, you know, Josh James also has crazy stuff, and his control command probably aren't even as good as Forrest Whitley's, and Josh James was a factor in the playoffs last year. Forrest Whitley is definitely ready to help the Astros. It's not going to be opening day, but at some point in 2019, but between the fall league and the regular season, he only pitched about 60 innings. So, like, how many innings can you really ramp him up to? Uh you know, I don't know, and it's going to be interesting to watch them manage it because it's not like you can have him go start for five year, five months in the minors and then bring him up in September and, and get a full season out of him. I'll be very curious to see how they handle that because you don't want to spend you know all the bullets in Forrest Whitley's arm for 2019 by mid-August. So I, it's, I, I'm not only am I curious to see how he does because his stuff is just insane, uh, and it was pretty much every time out in the fall league when we saw him. But I'll be curious to see what what happens to him in 2019 in terms of, of how they decide to use him. One cool thing about this list is that uh, when you look at it now and you look at it a year from now, it's going to change a lot because when you look at the ETAs on so many of these guys, it's 2019, and some of them um, are going to miss time. Michael Kopech would be coming off the list, but obviously the Tommy John surgery, he won't be pitching in 2019. But a lot of these guys will be. Uh, they'll be contributing at the major league level. So it's it's a little different than the left-handed list that we'll get to in a minute, Jim, in that these are guys we're going to see real soon in the big leagues. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if Whitley will graduate because, like I said, his usage, you know, might be be a factor. But if you're going on like when he – I mean, could he also come up in midseason and spend 45 days on our roster? Yes. I mean, we could see we could see Whitley gone. I think we could see Casey Mize. I don't think the Tigers as a non-contender will have to push him that quick. Mitch Keller should be up at some point this year. You know, the White Sox are rebuilding, but Dylan Cease could be up this year. Mike Soroka would have graduated already if he hadn't been shut down last year. Brent Honeywell would have graduated last year if he hadn't had Tommy John. I, I assume he'll spend, you know, they'll probably ease him back, but that he'll spend 45 days in the big leagues. Kyle Wright made his debut a year after he got drafted. So that's, one, two, three, four, five, six guys who are probably coming off this list. And as you noted, Kopech would have been seven. And if the Tigers were in a scenario where they were contending, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Casey Mize in the big leagues either. Yeah, and the guy that was just drafted in June. But that was the deal with him when he was drafted was that he was going to be ready in no time. All right, so that's uh, a good look at the right-handers, and it's going to be an exciting season for a lot of those guys as we see them transition into the major leagues. Let's move on to the lefties. Uh, number one, Jesus Lazardo checks in at number one. Number two is Mackenzie Gore of the Padres. Number three, Brendan McKay, the two-A player for the Rays. Number four, A.J. Puck, another A along with Lazardo. So they have two of the top four. Then Justice Sheffield, now a Mariner. 
Adrian Morahone, another Padre. Matt Libertor with the Rays. Logan Allen, Padres. D.L. Hall, number nine with the Orioles. And Ryan Weathers, yet another Padre, checks in at number 10. Uh, I just kept saying it, Padres, Padres, Padres. Jonathan, do you remember a time when there was a top 10 pitcher list like this and four guys were from the same team? This is impressive what the Padres have put together. Four, no. I feel like the... Did the Royals have – I'd have to go back and look, but, I mean, the Royals had but John Lamb and Danny Duffy and Mike Montgomery, um, and that may have even predated when we were doing top ten by position lists. My institutional memory is not what it used to be. Uh, but, no, I've not seen anything like this. And, I mean, the scary thing is, is that beyond those four, they have a whole bunch of other pitching, right-handed pitching. But, uh, you know, so this is a ridiculously – deep uh deep system i i think it's why you know jim without uh giving away who our number one farm system was said that's why the padres are the best farm system on twitter I, we're not really breaking news there uh it's pretty clear uh and that's not even talking about the position players so uh they're deep all around but yeah four guys in the top 10 is, is pretty insane and uh, and all of them are ridiculously talented Jesus Lazardo was at the Rookie Career Development Program last week. Jonathan, you got a chance to speak to him there. Let's listen to that interview. Then we'll move on the discussion about these left-handers. But I want to hear from Jesus Lazardo. You didn't let him know that he was going to be number one on the left-handed pitchers list. But here's the interview. Definitely meant a lot. It was definitely a, a big honor. And, um, you know, just the people I'm with here, you know, from every team, uh, not only the A's, but, I mean, Sky, Barrera, and uh, Sean. Uh, those are three guys that are definitely uh, big in the organization. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy to be here, you know, talk to other guys other, from other organizations and make the connections. And uh, definitely a lot to learn in this program. Well, you're, you're at the point now where you're, you're knocking on the door. The stuff here at the rookie program is really going to come in handy for you soon. How do you find uh, a way to, to not try to, to do too much? You know, mm -hmm. you, you got to the, to the highest level of the minors and you probably could feel Oakland not that far away. How do you, how do you make sure you're not, you, know, you, you don't try to, to do too much to get there? Uh, I mean, it's really kind of just staying within myself, um, you know, just doing what I've been doing, telling myself that, you know, um, I had a successful year last year, thankfully, uh, thank God. And, uh, just trying to keep doing that and keep working on it and uh, keep perfecting my craft, uh, not try to get ahead of myself or think what can happen in the future. Just kind of, I try to take it day by day and uh, try to do something every day to get better. How much did the Futures game serve as a, okay, this is what big league life is like. Boy, I really want to be able to do this every day. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely fun. It was a great, it was a great experience. Um, just, I mean, even the coaches, Big Poppy was our coach, Flatty, uh, Cordero that was here. Um, just, you know, getting to talk to those guys and the experience that we had, uh, it was amazing. And, uh, I mean, that's what we, we dreamt about since we were little. And then just being able to experience that there in Washington uh, definitely kind of drives you to want to do it again. Jonathan just seems really uh, mild, calm, cool, and collected in an interview. Yeah, um, kind of like he is on the mound. Um, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was outstanding and... Uh, you know, seamlessly. I mean, he, he created a nice bridge at the program between the Latino players and the English speakers, uh, you know, because uh, of his abilities, uh, you know, being bilingual. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a guy 
I guess he was sort of like Whitley, Forrest Whitley was the year prior where, you know, the A's were hanging around and they were competing for the playoffs and boy, maybe Jesus Lazardo could, could help them out. And uh, I think they rightfully erred on the side of caution since he moved so quickly last year, but this is a guy who is going to spend a lot of time in the big leagues uh, in 2019. Uh, if, if you told me that he's going to be right there at the end of the year for American league rookie of the year consideration, I would sincerely believe it. You know, even if he starts the year back in AAA where he ended up, uh, I, I think that he is he's going to force his way up into the big leagues uh, because of that that combination of mound presence, stuff, and command. So Whitley was the clear-cut number one guy. Jim, I'm going to go to you for this question because your guy is number two here and Mackenzie Gore. How was this debate, one versus two? Because those two guys are so different with Lazardo ready to go at the big league level and Gore still years away as, as a high school guy that was just drafted. As much as I, you know, everybody knows I love Mackenzie Gore, it's pretty easy, I think. I mean, I think they're close, and we're going to have them close on the top 100, and they're obviously 1-2 on the lefty list. I mean, you know, Gore's appeal is that he's a guy who's got, you know, three or more plus pitches and, you know, a chance to have control to match. Well, Lizardo has the same thing, and he's already had success at the A level while Gore was in low class A. So I, I think you have to give Lizardo the edge because of that. But, you know, Gore's another guy, you know, I was talking about with Whitley. I, I'll be curious to see what Gore does this year. You know, he had blister issues last year, a couple stints on the DL. You only pitched 60 innings. I, I don't think ever really got into a rhythm. Although, you know, for a guy who was only 19 last year, you had a four to one strikeout to walk ratio in low class A, which again, I think speaks to the quality of his stuff and his ability to throw it for strikes. So I'm hoping he has a fully healthy year this year. Um, and, you know, as Jonathan said, Lazardo, you know, good chance. I think we expect he's going to graduate. Um, I, I, I think, you know, the right-handed list might be kind of wide open depending, you know, with all the guys graduating. I, I'll be surprised if Mackenzie Gore is at number one on this list a year from now or, or even in midseason if, if Lazardo is graduated by then. I'm not sure how the A's get through the 2019 season if Lazardo doesn't graduate because there's not a lot of starters on that roster right now. They're going to need that guy to get some innings in at some point. All right, number three was Brandon McKay, and he's still a two-way player as of right now, Jonathan. He's been much better on the mound than he has been at the plate and at first base, though. Um, do you sense the Rays wavering at all um, as far as the experiment goes, or do you think he continues to, to go both ways in 2019 all the way through the season? I think they let him stay with it, uh, you know, unless it be, you know, continues to kind of be uh, one-sided. Uh, you know, he still did some of the things that he does well. You know, he drew a lot of walks. Um, you know, it didn't strike out a ton. The power didn't really show up. Um, you know, but it didn't, it didn't hold back his pitching that much. Um, uh, you know, I, I guess I could see a scenario where he's throwing extremely well. Let's say they move him up to double a and he's throwing extremely well, uh, and, and they need him if they feel that they're going to compete in the AL East. Uh, but I think he could go at least half the season and sort of see how it goes, uh, and see if the bat gets going. Uh, you know, it's, there's a reason why people don't do this. It's 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 not easy to be able to develop both sides of your game equally. So uh, I'm curious to see. I hope they let him do it because I, I, I want to see if he can sort of make adjustments and the bat catches up to to his arm a little bit. 
and and see what happens. But if we see a sort of duplicate of 2018, my guess is they'll have a conversation with him at some point about focusing on pitching. Yeah, my understanding from talking to the Rays a little bit about it is they're not going to let one hold back the other. And, and you know, there was kind of a split camp. Uh, among teams, you know, is he better as a hitter? Is he better of a pitcher coming out of college, which made him so intriguing? He could have been a, a top five or top 10 pick either way. Um, but I think the consensus definitely was that he was more advanced as a pitcher. And, you know, what you said, Jonathan, is, is kind of, I think, what they're going to do. They're going to continue to let him do both for sure this year. But if it gets to the point where he's, say, big league ready to pitch by the end of the year, which he might because he was so good as a pitcher last year, and I mean, when he got promoted to high class A last year, granted, it was a small sample size and he was bothered by oblique injuries last year, too. Um, You know, but he hit 210 uh, in the Florida State League. If he continues to struggle like that at the plate, then I think he'll just be a a one way guy. You know, maybe you'd occasionally pinch hit. They they aren't they definitely aren't going to you know, if he's if he's lagging behind in one area, they aren't going to wait for that to catch up to promote him to the big leagues. So I, I think. You know, kind of there's two factors at play here. It's like how quick can he be ready as a pitcher? And last year <laughs> it makes it look like it might be pretty quick. And, and if so, can he improve enough as a hitter to keep that going? Um, you know, and it's – I mean, if I had to guess right now, I I think he might be ready, you know, much ready – I can't speak – ready much sooner as a pitcher to where the hitting might take a back seat. So, guys, Lozardo could be at the big league level right away. Um, when you look at the rest of this list, as far as guys that are going to contribute in 2019, uh, Jonathan Justice Sheffield, I would think, right, with the Mariners, they brought him in not to send him down to the minor leagues. I would think so. Again, if they wanted to wait a little bit, they're in rebuilding mode, although I guess he's already been up in the big leagues, so uh, that's not as much of an issue. So, yeah, I, I, I expect, assuming he's healthy through spring training, uh, that he will be a part of that rotation, uh, if not on opening day, then then soon thereafter. So yeah, he's uh, I think a, a, a surefire, you know, maybe right behind Lazardo as a guy who's who's going to graduate off the list. All right, let's move on to the top ten catchers, um, and this is a, a good group as well. Joey Bart of the Giants, drafted last June, is number one. Francisco Mejia traded to the Padres last season, number two. Kaber Ruiz of the Dodgers, three. Then it's the A's, Sean Murphy, four. Danny Jansen, who got some big league time in 2018 with the Blue Jays, five. Ronaldo Hernandez of the Rays, six. Miguel Amaya of the Cubs, seven. The D-backs, Dalton Varsho, eight. MJ Melendez with the Royals, nine. And Andrew Kisner with the Cardinals, number 10. Um, let's start at the top, and uh, we'll go back to you, Jim, to start this one off. Joey Bart, number one. Um, it's pretty quick for a guy to rise that quickly, right? I mean, I know the catching position, not always the deepest at the prospect level, but this guy to be drafted and then rise to that rank says a lot about Joey Bart. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he was the number two pick in the draft and, and was considered to go number one. So that's part of it. Um, you know, I, I think it comes down to two. I mean, if you're, you the, the guys who would be his his competition, and they're pretty close, would be Francisco Mejia and K. Bear Ruiz. And with Mejia, I think there's a serious question as to whether he's really a catcher or a full-time catcher. He's, he's more of a hitter who's, who's seeking a position. And so in my mind, that's why I would take Bart over him. And I really do like Kaber Ruiz, who's who's advanced for a young age, but I, I'd give the slight edge to Bart. I, I think Bart's got more power, better arm, 
and is at least his equal as a defender. You know, Bear's probably better hitter. Um, he, he's younger, uh, maybe a little quicker, more athletic. But, you know, you, you could argue those three guys in any order, but I, I like the order we have them in. And, you know, Mejia, you know, I guess I, I'm curious about a lot of guys as, as 2019, the season dawns. You know, where's Francisco Mejia going to wind up? Because, I mean, you kind of like I, I've made this joke probably on this podcast before. If you could combine Austin Hedge's defense and Francisco Mejia's offense, you'd have an unbelievable catcher. And the Padres can't. Yeah, you, you can't do that. Or, I mean, I guess you, you can pair them up at a catcher, but you can't turn them into one player in San Diego. And I'll be curious what they do. My, my, my gut feel, just from seeing Mejia play, from talking to people about him, I, I just think unless you're a team that prioritizes offense heavily at catcher like, say, the Yankees do, I just think Mejia is just kind of a fringy receiver. And, you know, this these days where you have all these catcher metrics about framing and you can measure – you know, how good guys are, how bad they are at stealing strikes or losing strikes. I just think most teams are going to want a better defensive catcher. And personally, and we've talked about this with guys, you know, if you have a guy who's, who's bad is potentially as as special as Mejia's is, I'd rather have him playing every day or more regularly and getting the most out of his bat than playing maybe 90 or hundred games behind the plate and being beat up and, and getting him in the lineup less often and, and is less than his optimal offensive production. So if it were me, you know, I, I guess I'd let him be Austin Hedges backup, but I, I, I tried to develop Francisco Mejia as an outfielder. Yeah. I th- first of all, uh, I wouldn't put it past AJ Preller to be working on combining two people into one player. Um, I, I could see, I could see that. Uh, but I, I mean, I agree. I agree largely. And I think, you know, the reason why Bart gets the nod is because he is, the best combination of those two of all the tools and, you know, of these guys has the best chance to be uh, a, a top flight all around catcher. Uh, and that's why for me, you know, uh, it was easy to pick him as sort of the, as the number one guy and, and the other guys fell by the wayside. It's an interesting thing with, with Mejia uh, because uh, you know, he struggling a little bit with the, the catching uh, and it, Bat was getting close to being ready, even you know when he was coming up with the the Indians, and they had two veteran catchers, so they started having him play other positions, you know, both because they weren't sure if he was going to catch, and because they thought maybe his bat could help them in Cleveland during during the playoff stretch. And the one thing that he really needs is a ton of reps behind the plate. So it's almost like a self fulfilling prophecy when you start moving a guy like that out from behind the plate. To me, you're almost guaranteeing that he's not going to end up uh, being a catcher. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I have a feeling that he's going to end up finding a, another home and letting that bat play. And, and I do think the bat is going to play. One thing when you look at this list that is nice to see is a lot of times when you look at the top 10 catchers list, it's a lot of really good kit, really good hitters. Uh, with a a few good catchers mixed in as well on the defensive side. But other than Mejia, Jonathan, and maybe uh, another guy or so that's that's picking up and learning the trade behind the plate, it seems like this is a list that's made up of guys that are solid both ways. Yeah, uh, and there's some some guys who are even sort of glove first. Uh, Sean Murphy was our runner-up on our all-defensive team, or would have been, uh, to to Jake Rogers of of the Tigers and you could probably make an argument and talk to some scouts who would take Murphy over, over Rogers, but uh, he's just a really good all around catcher, tremendously accurate arm. 
a good receiver, handles pitchers well. Uh, you know, so he's got some power in his bat. You know, he has a chance to be a, a good everyday regular, but there are more questions about the bat than the glove. And uh, the guy that I'm like really keeping an eye on, um, and I, I was happy, you know, the, I'm doing the, the Royals top 30 uh, this year. It's a new team for me. So I get to write up MJ Melendez. And, and he's got the most ceiling to me of anybody on this list. Uh, just came off of his first full season. He had 19 homers in full season ball. Uh, did a nice job catching and throwing. He's very agile behind the plate. So he has a chance to move up in a hurry, especially if he refines his approach at the plate. But all the defensive stuff is right right up there with uh, with some of the other guys on this list who really know how to catch. So it's a good list overall, hit first, catch good overall. Is this one of the deeper catcher lists you remember, Jim? Yeah, I, I think so, because a lot of times, you know, like you guys are just talking about, we're talking about guy, you know, we're, we're either A, you know, scrambling to fill the end of the list. You know, like for most of the lists, the top 100 overall, the overall top 100 will fill the top 10. You know, it doesn't happen to catcher, first base, second base. Sometimes there's another position that's a guy or two short. And so, like, we're, we're trying to fill out the list. A lot of times we're struggling uh, to fill out that, that the top 10 catchers. And there's guys at the end. I'm not going to single anybody out by name like I did before we officially pressed record on this podcast. But there have been guys where you're just like, ah, man, this guy is really on our catchers list. Um, and we didn't have that this year. And, and, like, you know, again, you know, most of these guys – I don't think there's any question there's catchers. I mean, the only three guys I think you and you question if they're catchers at all are Mejia. You know, Danny Jansen, I don't even think he's really questioning he's a catcher. I just think he's more of a fringy to average catcher, but he's definitely a catcher, an offensive-minded guy. And then Dalton Varsho is the guy. But, like, you know, it's not like we're, we're jamming guys in here and we're not really sold on them as catchers. I mean, I think eight of these guys are definitely catchers and, you know, and we'll see on the other two, but no, it, it is, it is a good group of catchers on this list. I mean, they're not all top 100 guys, but I do think we may have more catchers on the top 100 this year at the start of the year than we do most years. So that is it. As far as the battery goes, we move on from there and we will have more on the upcoming podcast. Here's the schedule to lay it out for you. Uh, Friday, we're recording this podcast on Thursday, Friday, uh, January 18th, it'll be first baseman, then Monday, second baseman, Tuesday, the 22nd, third baseman, Wednesday, shortstops, Thursday, January 24th, outfielders. Uh, and then Saturday, the top 100 prospect show reveal that's on MLB Network, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Jim and Jonathan will be on set for that one. Um, there'll be a lot going on. Uh, Jonathan, in the past, we've had um, players get involved on Twitter. Is that all going to go down this year again, too? Uh, hopefully we're going to start reaching out to them. They usually do get involved. It makes it for a, uh, a much more sort of enjoyable, interactive evening. So a lot of fun and a lot of stuff coming up. Make sure you tune into all that stuff and, and check out MLB Pipeline for all the stories to go along with it. That's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I'm Tim McMaster. Tune in again next time.